Pod Boys Productions. Yeah, everyone's asking about the Mr. Irrelevant. And what I've got my sights set on is Mr. Irrelevant. When I first got it, you're thinking, man, Mr. Irrelevant. And I don't want to be that guy. podcast that's actually mostly going to be about tv today it's your boy pod drew over here and tv really is movies at this point anyway would you not agree my great co-host over there e-nam yes sir yes sir it's your boy young snow angel out here having a day off in new york just uh really excited that movies and television are a flat circle now that's right and uh young snow wait it wasn't young snowflake that you just said right no young snow angel no, Angel, yeah. Not, not to be confused about what they call you on, on Twitter and the like. It's good of you to stay inside, because what I realize now is that sidewalk grates in New York, or, you know, rather the basement uh, openings, those can be pretty dangerous, am I right? Also fucking stairs. That stairs are dangerous. Ambulances, if you get in the back of those, those can be dangerous. Yeah, I just watched episode two of Russian Doll. I know that's, uh, since we're going to talk shows today a little bit, I know that's something you were high on, right? Uh, yeah, I liked it until the very end. I will not spoil the end for you, but... Yeah, so we're uh, we're going to talk that. Uh, just the first two episodes, I guess that's all I've seen. I'm going to be doing, or I actually released uh, the first episode today of my reaction on that. So I've mentioned it before, but I have a reaction channel on YouTube. You can just look up Drew's Views with Z's at the end, like type that into the search, or it's Drew Wilson on YouTube. To find my reactions, you're into that sort of thing at all. I do a bunch of shows starting rushing down now. But anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a lot about True Detective, which last time on the podcast, we it was the first half of the season, season three, had aired, and we talked about that. Now it's the finale is coming up as of when we're recording this. Finale is coming up this Sunday, so we can get into that. I have theories and such. And uh, we will do some movies talk as well. Talk a little bit about Oscar nominations. You know, I'm going to be tuning into True Detective this Sunday, but also the Oscars is on on the same day. You know, also, uh, Young Snow Angel, we never really wrapped up anything about, because a lot of times on the podcast, it's, it's Misters Irrelevant rather than Movies Irrelevant. NFL Niffle podcast. We didn't really talk any anything post-Super Bowl yet. But, I mean, it was such a bad game that do we really need to? I don't... Man, that game was so fucking boring. How boring was it? It was so boring that I don't have a joke about how boring it was that would make it any less boring. Yeah, you have no spice for that, huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's. I guess it's fitting that we will... We, we might as well talk a little Oscars right now to transition into how bad that game was into <laughs> probably how bad this, this is going to be. They didn't... It, it's already like a train wreck, I guess, because... They don't, I guess they're just going with no host, apparently, like no one's hosting, which actually that doesn't, might not even be too bad, to be honest, if you're going to sit through that whole thing. 
Yeah, it feels like there's no host, but they, they released the names of presenters. So they still have presenters, which I, like, personally wasn't sure that they would do. Uh, not that I'm, like, super plugged in or anything. Yeah, I mean, they gotta have that awkward banter for, like, 45 seconds before they read the uh, nominees, right? And then maybe, like, Amy Poehler will be on and Maya Rudolph and, like, they'll be funny and, and then that, that's about it. Yeah, like, I'm fine without, like, an opening Oscars monologue. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we don't need any Billy Crystal uh, singing and dancing. All right, but anyway, I, I'm just kind of looking at these nominees. I, I guess I when they came out maybe a couple weeks ago, I, I think I, like, perused them quickly. Now I'm looking at a little more in-depth here. So the field is for Best Picture... In alphabetical order, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, which we've talked about fairly recently. Go back and listen to that podcast. Green Book, Roma, which we also talked about. Go back and listen to that. A Star is Born and Vice. So how many of those films have you seen, Young Snow Angel? Um, I've seen Black Panther, Black Klansman, Roma. The Favorite, obviously. And Vice. And The Favorite, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did see Vice. Yes. All right. So, yeah, I think uh, last time I'd asked you about that, you hadn't seen it yet. So I've seen that one also. And we've seen all the same ones, except I haven't seen Black Klansman. Is that worth watching? It's, like, fine. It's good. It's not, like, it's not one of Spike Lee's seven or ten best movies. Like, it's a fine movie. Really? Because the poster by where I'm staying says it is Spike Lee's best movie ever. God. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's true, and I'm not sure that it belongs in this list. Although, with the favorite and the green book, it kind of completes the green book. the treble of movies that critics liked less and are nominated for this fucking award. I don't know. Black Landsman definitely leads that group. Wait, I'm. I think I misunderstood something you said, or, or I didn't quite catch it. You, you said that those movies critics like less. Yes, so Bohemian Rhapsody is a bad movie, according to everyone I know who has seen it, and every critic that I read who has seen it, and every person on Twitter or a podcast right. that that I have heard say has seen it. Like, it's a, it's a fun time, like, you like Queen songs, like, you're, you're not going to hate yourself for watching it, but it is not a good movie. In fact, it is a bad movie. That, that's the impression I had heard as well, yeah. Yeah, and Green Book is just the crash of our time, which, like, Hollywood has a white savior complex, so, like, bad movies about white saviors are going to get nominated. It is allegedly not a very good movie, but a very, like, family-friendly one. It's, like, an easy one to come away with, like, feeling good about, come away from, rather, feeling good about yourself. It's got our boy Mahershala from uh, True Detective, of course. Yeah, he's really good. Viggo Mortensen's nominated lead actor, I'm sure he's good, too, but, um... What, but I'm still confused about the comment because you were saying like the favorite Green Book and Oh, Black I'm Clans sorry. Movie. I meant Bohemian Rhapsody. The favorite gotcha, Green Book. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, that was the source of my confusion. Uh, we don't need to talk more about that, I guess, or Roma since we went in, in depth on that. We could talk a little bit about Vice, I guess, since we've both seen that. That's the other one we've both seen. Then. Oh, we've both seen Black, Black Panther. I'll just say, like, does that need to be nominated for Best Picture? Not in my opinion. I mean, but. it might be the best movie in this group. You think? I don't know. Roma's really, really good, but uh, as I mentioned, it's such a tough hang. I don't know. Yeah. Black Panther is a very coherent movie, uh, and I've heard some other people having a hot take that it might be, might actually be the best movie in this group, and they might not be wrong. Well, I don't know about that. Man, I, even if someone says it's the best Marvel movie, one of the best of those, I can be fine with that, but... I, but just because it is like it's not different enough from other Marvel movies to distinguish it, in my opinion. Even though I enjoyed the movie overall, it's not different enough to make it. It's not like even what the word you just used was like what comp, um, coherent. 
coherent. Like that's the mark of the best picture of the year. I mean, we uh, we have been over it anyway. It's not like these awards really mean anything, and they're always like you mentioned, Crash just now. That that in hindsight looks so bad and everything. Or the fish sex movie from last year, the disgusting fish. Oh sex yeah, movie. Well, we we can go. Yeah, you can keep digging back through our archives to hear us talk all about that one. But um. Yeah, people have said also, that I've heard a couple of people say this, I think that they should really, obviously this would never work, it never happened, but they should really like award best pictures like five years down the line when there's more time to see how it affected the culture, see how it affected other movies, like really sit on it, you know, have you heard anyone saying that? Yeah, I don't know where that take came from, but I've heard Bill Simmons say it since like 2010, and yeah, yes. But Vice, I guess we can, uh, did you like that one? I don't know, I don't know. There's a way in which it seeks to litigate the crimes of Dick Cheney in a way, I don't know, mm, the, okay. the goofy vibe of the whole movie kind of lets him off the hook. It's too Maybe. glib about, like, its characters are too glib about the, like, absolute evil that they're putting into the world. That do, I you don't think that's, if... do you think that's how Dick Cheney really is, though? I don't know. Maybe not goofy, but I think he really probably doesn't think he's evil, you know, or thinks, you know. No, he thinks he's the hero of his own story, just like every, like, person does. It just Yeah. I don't know. It was very glib. Smarmy, and it was a, it was a subject that the filmmaker clearly had, like, absolute disdain for, but was still able to put himself, which I guess is a feat, was still able to put himself in the mindset to, like, these characters think they're heroes. And I had a really tough time just watching those characters think they were heroes. Or think that they were, like, doing well or getting away with it, which they did. Yeah, I mean, they did. I, I'll say, I, I guess I liked it overall. I, I did think it was funny in a lot of parts. Like, it, like the, the recurring thing of him having the heart attacks was funny. Like, a, a funny recurring thing and how he, like, reacted. You know, what's his name playing? Uh, George uh, W. Bush was a funny take on it. What? Why am I blanking? Uh, Sam Rockwell last year's a lead, or not lead, but a supporting actor uh, winner and uh is he nominated for that one too he might he probably i wouldn't be surprised yeah he is okay amy adams nominated for lynn cheney is that her name yeah yeah she was uh good of course i don't know you don't think she uh, did a good job adam mckay is a very good filmmaker all these people are very good actors i just i'm not ready to just it sounds like you're more the subject matter in general you just don't want to take that type of take on this yeah like maybe some things like whatever the opposite of sacred is maybe some things like we don't touch with this kind of pen yeah you know? I'm, now i'm trying to think what the opposite of sacred is i don't not getting this uh, taboo no i don't think that's the opposite of sacred I mean, it might be taboo. You want to make that might be the word you're looking for, but I don't think it's on an inverse. Word. Yeah, I'm I'm blanking too. I don't know. I just didn't. I was uncomfortable the whole time. Okay, my other point was other than that, I did like some of the humor in it. It did ultimately make me kind of more interested. Like I was at the end, I was kind of like, I wouldn't even mind kind of watching this as like a documentary. Like that's a couple hours long. Like it almost didn't go through enough for me. Right, right. Um, which is kind of. Inter- like i don't know interesting but it's kind of like i don't obviously i live through this stuff generally i've never been the most into politics as a lot of people are like i know that you are and stuff and i knew some you know a lot of this stuff already but it did make me more interested like a lot of this scooter libby stuff like i vaguely remember that at the time and like other things like that those little details like i i was kind of interested like yeah if this was like a documentary or something i would be interested in a more like thorough i guess i don't know does that make sense what i'm saying yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, like an OJ Made in America style documentary. Where, like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, very exactly. Long, yeah. Very thorough, and it's not like 
eulogizing in the way that a Ken Burns documentary would be, but like really gets to the point. Um, I would watch that, I guess. And it did, I guess it did redeem very slightly, but there was like one redeeming quality it showed from Cheney with his daughter, which they kind of go back on at the end. Like, or they kind of show how even that didn't really, even that got ruined kind of. Right. That was all public posturing because all these people are fucking monsters. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I don't know. I, I, I kind of do believe that he, I, I feel like he, maybe this is just from the movie, but it, it seemed like he does love his family or whatever, at least, which is like maybe the slight, the faintest praise like of anyone, but he's not. Is that something you didn't like though, that they showed he was some like just very slightly redeemable in like one aspect? No. And I uh, disagree that that redeems the character or the person Dick Cheney, because like that guy, like every fucking monster in the world like, has that thing, you know, I just love my family, and that makes me a good man, and that makes, that gives me a good heart, and I know what's right, and what's right happens to be the deaths of, like, a million Iraqis. Fuck you. No, I, I get your point. I'm not saying it redeems him, but, but like, just slightly, sh- I, I, not redeems his character or his person overall, or, or his action. It shows, like, not complete, because there are people that are, like, complete monsters, even to their family as well. Sure, sure. And that can't even compartmentalize that aspect or whatever. And then I guess his, do- his, um, not, yeah, his daughter, his other daughter is, is a Senator currently. Is that the case in Wyoming? Oh man, I don't know. Yeah. I think she still is. Cause I see her pop up here and there on like Twitter or something like her name pop up. Yeah. I thought you were the political junkie over there. How do you not know? Uh, I don't know anything about Cheney's daughters. I know that Liz Cheney is gay. Yeah. It's the, uh, no, I think Liz Cheney, I think is the one I'm referring to. The other one is Mary. I think her name from watching the movie I forgot her name, too. She's played by Allison Pill, is the actress. Um, I recognized her. And, yeah, well, all right, so that's Vice. Oh, and also Steve, part of the funny... I, I did find what's-his-name funny, too, Steve Carell as... um Rumsfeld? Uh, yeah, Rumsfeld. More of, like, the dark humor, I guess, of, if you look overall, like you're saying, all the... Like, he's just a complete war hawk, killing... Doesn't care about the deaths of thousands of people, whatever, but the portrayal did kind of i'm not saying it made me like him but the performance did like which could be i guess an issue as well but i was laughing at him like laughing at some of his things in there which is intentional i'm sure but it wasn't making me completely hate him maybe as it should have right right so yeah bohemian rhapsody i probably won't i mean maybe watch it sometime not jumping to do that and it's it was technically nominally directed by some random guy but really what's brian singer Yes, directed apparently like ninety percent of the movie, and he's uh, a creep, yeah. obviously. So we're really like uh, not in his movie that critics didn't even like, and people didn't even seem to like. It's kind of strange. I get the nomination for Rami Malek to be even without actually seeing the the movie. I get that makes sense for what I'm assuming is a performance like that, a role like that to be nominated. But the movie itself, a little strange. Yeah, I don't I don't understand how Bohemian Rhapsody is nominated. And this conversation should have happened a month ago, and, and it did on, like, other blogs and other podcasts, whatever. Well, we have the hottest take at the right time, Eric. Come on. Right, right, right. It's more topical now. Bohemian Rhapsody seems like a bad movie, and it's a biopic, and biopics are always bad. Biopic? Biopic? I'm not sure what to say. It is, I was gonna, yeah, it is biopic. It's not, like, rhyming with myopic or something, even though it kind of looks like it would, but yeah. Got it, got it. They're always bad, and I always hate them, but, like... Also, other people whose opinion I trust have told me that this is a bad movie that I don't need to watch. I don't understand how it's in the running for an Oscar. Like, last year, we didn't have this conversation. There weren't 
two or three movies that did not deserve to be nominated for Best Film of the Year. Was there? I can't even remember it now. I know we talked about uh, it, but... Uh, the one about the news was the only, like, one that, like, maybe kind of should like, really shouldn't have been. The there. one about the news. Was not a serious news. movie. Oh, there's also the one with, what's his name, Gary Oldman as, um, as... Finest Hour. Finest yeah, Hour. Yeah. I remember people saying that. Yeah, I haven't either. I remember people saying that didn't deserve it. Um, and then, yeah... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not a good field. I guess I'm rooting for the favorite. I doubt it's going to win. I mean, maybe it will, though. I don't know. Uh, 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 Star is Born, though, I wanted to point out. Did, you, you said you didn't see that one either. Uh, I've still not seen Star is Born. I keep meaning to. People really, really liked it. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, I haven't seen it either. We talked about it a little bit on a p- previous podcast, but that's one that unfortunately was lost to the sands of time. It, uh, there was a yeah, recording malfunction, so I'm going to repeat my hot take on that real quick, even again without having seen it. I really am anti A Star is Born, again, having not seen it. This movie is like, if there's backlash on it, I'm, I'm riding the backlash wave. Something about it to me, I just don't, I'm just not into, like, I... I think we had talked a little bit about Gaga last time on the last episode. You like her, right? Yeah, yeah. I I have always liked Lady Gaga, and I just don't. I just don't really get it with her. I I guess I do, I get it to some extent with her being a pop star. Like if you're really into that type of music, which I'm not, but if you are, she's kind of like the Madonna of the day or whatever. I would say she bites off Madonna a lot, but regardless, that's like someone people are into you can like hold up as their idol type of thing I, I get that to an extent but like her being an actress now i just don't even just watching clips i've seen or previews of this movie or whatever i just or other things she's in i just don't i just don't get it but more so i'm anti bradley cooper now i think like i i don't like him being like a uh like a fake chris christopherson i don't buy it like i just don't i don't know and this movie has been this is like the fourth or fifth version of the same movie, this remake. It is like, the fourth. The 30s, the 50s, the 70s, and, and now. Which, I haven't seen any of them, to be fair. Maybe I should watch one of the older ones, but I I, I don't know. Like, something about... I, I feel like I'm never going to watch this. Like, I'm anti that I'm, I just don't want to watch it all, at all ever now. And I don't know. It, it just something about it just really rubs me the wrong way. And I, I don't really... I probably didn't explain it well what that is, but I don't know. I'm not interested in it as a story or as a movie or, or whatever, but, like, the cultural conversation around it, like, kind of means that I need to watch it because a bunch of people whose opinions I respect really like this movie. That said, I still haven't seen it. It came out in, what, October? Yeah, I think this is one of the old, yeah, older ones from... Wow. I'm not out here trying to see A Star is Born. I don't care about this story, I think. I don't care about Bradley Cooper as a director. I've always found him a kind of charming as an actor in a weird way. What is that last Cameron Crowe movie? Aloha. He carries that movie. Wait, you, you saw that movie? That, that was supposed to be considered one of the biggest bombs of, like, the last decade or something, I think. It's bad. Is that where Emma Stone plays a Asian person? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Emma Stone plays an Asian-American woman in that movie. I'm not here to defend that movie. I'm just saying he carries it with charm alone. Okay. He and John Krasinski playing a person who doesn't speak. Krasinski doesn't speak in that movie either? Right, right. Is that where he get the idea from a quiet <laughs> place started? Maybe so. Yeah, man. Bradley Cooper's a charming actor. I don't yeah. like I don't know how he is as a director. Uh, I never I might never see this movie, but people like it. I don't know what it's doing here other than like popular consensus being that it is a good film. And this is the kind of year that we're having for Best Picture nominees. Last year we had three movies that honestly, if movies went to war as like generals, I would die for any of them in Phantom Thread, Lady Bird, or Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. Roma's good. 
this year, and Black Panther's good, and that's kind of all we've got. The favorite. It's a weird fucking year. I, I liked the favorite. I keep forgetting about the favorite. Well, if you had to predict, what would you say? What's your pick? Not what you want, but what do you think is actually going to take home the gold? It's not going to be Black Klansman. I can I, I can cross that one off. It's not going to be... I mean, I, it can't be Bohemian Rhapsody, right? What if that actually... No, I, I don't think so. I mean, any of the... And Green it's, Book's going to win. Probably, right? We're going to have a crash scenario and Green Book's going to win. Despite the uh, authorship issues and the very racist... I mean, it can't be as bad as Crash, right? Nothing will ever be as bad as Crash, that's not what I'm saying. If I had to watch one of these ones that I hadn't watched, that I have not yet watched, I guess I would go Black Klansman first, but then I probably would go Green Book. I'm sure Green Book's gonna win, Spike Lee's gonna be uh, (laughs) pissed about that. Because there was a thing where the year Do the Right Thing came out, the Best Picture winner was Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. He had a whole thing about how that's like people want to see this type of, you know, black portrayal or this type of story rather than this real thing, you know. Not that Do the Right Thing is technically a, a true story, but, you know, the more realistic thing. And then director, I would I would have to bet that Koran's going to take it again for Roma. Now there's some, I'm looking at this director list now. The, a guy named Powell, Powell Lukowski did for a movie called Cold War. I want to see that one too. It's not nominated for Best Picture. Or, I think it's Polish maybe or maybe. Yeah, I'm it is Polish. Just going by the guy's name. But uh, actually, when I saw The Favorite, there was a preview for that movie Cold War, which I thought it looked pretty good. So I'll probably try to check that one out. And then I'm looking at this animated feature. The, the animated feature is looking much stronger than the main feature, I would say. It's stacked, with the exception that Incredibles 2 is a pro-cop, terrible movie. Okay, is it? I, I, I've seen three of the five movies on here. I've not seen Rough Bricks the Internet or Incredibles 2. I was going to say that I, I would think those are probably both at least decent movies, but you're saying it's bad, Incredibles 2? Yeah, people really liked Incredibles 2. Well, people loved the first one. I, I saw it so long ago that I barely remember it. I, I think I liked it at the time when I saw it. I, I probably saw it in the theater back then, but I haven't really been back to it. I know people are always talking about how good that one is, but... Yeah, Incredibles 2 is all about how it's okay that there's a state monopoly on violence and left to our own devices, people will, you know, be evil. It's a terrible fucking movie. It's got wretched politics and there are like three cute moments. I was not interested in that movie. I Love Dogs was good, but a bit complicated with, uh, you know, uh, yellow face stuff. Yeah, I haven't necessarily agreed with that criticism of the film either, even though I've heard people with that opinion. It also wasn't like... It wasn't a really, like, lovely Wes Anderson film. No, I agree. I saw it on a plane as well, so I was like, you know, it was a good plane watch. And I liked it overall. But yeah, it's not, I wouldn't say it should win this. Or, or it's definitely not one of the best Wes Anderson movies. But I, I'm more interested to talk about the other two films. So one is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I saw that one over the holidays with um my siblings and my cousins. We went and saw that. That was very entertaining. Have you seen it? I still have not seen that. Okay, um, I recommend it. It's I good. played the Spider-Man video game. Yeah, well, Into the Spider-Verse, the video game, you said? <laughs> no, no. Um, I played the Spider-Man video game and was very interested in being a Spider-Man, but then the movie was already out of most theaters. All right, well, th- this is like, it's. I didn't know anything about it going in, really. It's, it's a pretty interesting idea where it's like a bunch of, I won't spoil anything, I guess, but other than that, it's like... A bun- there's a bunch of Spider-Mans in it, essentially. So, like, yeah. different, um, what do you call it? Time, um, I don't know, like, on the space-time continuum. There, there's different, like, wh- how am I... Alternate realities. Yeah, alternate realities. I don't know how I blanked on that so hard. Yeah, where there's, like, a Spider-Man and one is played by... The main Spider-Man, I guess, is... Well, no, the main Spider-Man's the main character, which is Miles Morales, I think the name is, a New York teenager. And then he 
meets up with a bunch of the other ones, but one the other main one is played by Jake Johnson, and it's like a kind of more middle aged, like schlubby Spider Man, right, right, who is like divorced from uh, Mary Jane and all that stuff. So it was funny, a lot of good jokes, and I think it was a good good script overall. Like it, it's it's very entertaining. I haven't seen those Andrew Garfield ones, but I'm sure I'm sure it's light years better than those and i would say it's better than that the newer marvel one too cool and then the fifth movie on here is a japanese movie that i just watched oh like a week ago called mirai have you heard of this no tell me about it i liked i thought this was really good it's like a very simple story but it's about a kid who's i guess like five maybe four or five years old who has a his parents bring home like a new baby sister and then it's like kind of a classic story about him, you know, being the older kid being jealous when the baby comes and not getting as much attention. But it has kind of like an interesting thing where like in their backyard garden or whatever, again, it's like another portal or something. Uh, his sister, as like an older child, comes to like talk to him and like other people in his past, like his grandfather that he never met that's dead or whatever, or great grandfather, maybe little kids like able to talk and like interact with them. And it's like very like sweet movie, like very you know family friendly, all that stuff, like charming, everything like that. So I, I recommend that one also. Cool, cool, sounds good. I, I think Spider Man will probably win win this one, but who knows? I mean, Pixar game is yeah, strong. That makes sense. And then yeah, I don't know. There's not much else. Um, just looking through. Is there any other any other stuff you want to uh, mention from? nominations are you gonna watch the the show yeah i guess i'm gonna watch partly because it might be a train wreck there are no movies this year that i'm really really rooting for like there were three that i was rooting for last year do you also not understand sorry for the leading question why first reformed was not nominated it, well i'm looking at it now it's nominated for original screenplay i guess maybe yeah but ethan hawk wasn't nominated the movie itself wasn't nominated yeah that's a shame ethan hawk should be nominated even what's her name could could have got a nomination for supporting actress amanda seyfried right right i liked the movie a lot it's a smaller movie i guess like i don't think it was released wide or anything sometimes those don't always catch on it's a paul schrader movie i think he's um you know he was the original writer of taxi driver and he's a, a famous director screenplay for like since the 70s a, a screenwriter but and he is nominated for the screenplay but i think maybe he's like um him and hollywood are like kind of at odds a lot i've heard some things about that i don't know that's all i can think of i don't i don't really know again it's like hard to tell what really can catch on i mean obviously it's not a i, I guess if you look at the list here it is kind of a and the, the oscars even were toying with the idea i know of having like a separate category for like popular movies or whatever right which they decided not to do but right. if you look at the spread with the exception of black cuckoo clansmen and that's about it really they're all kind of like mainstreamish movies the favorite i guess is right. kind of got in there it's not as mainstream but it, it, it picked up a lot of steam so roma's that netflix thing but it's getting a lot of publicity through netflix i guess i haven't heard that many people talking about vice to be fair but but yeah it's, it seems more mainstreamish you know yeah, it feels like a really weird year for movies. It feels like a really bad year for wide-release, very popular movies. And kind of an inopportune time for the Academy to just, like, stick to the classic, you know, we-know-movies-that-everybody-saw situation. They picked some really bad movies by doing And did they... You're saying stick to that like they always do it, but I don't know if that's the case that they always... Right, right, I understand. It's just, like, no one's gonna watch it. Ratings are down for everything, and when ratings are down for, like the biggest live event of the quarter um, for, for NBC or ABC, whatever, wherever they're on. Yeah, I don't know. It is probably, 
I can understand the network having problems and that that maybe I'm hypothesizing causing people within the academy to pick like more popular films so more people who saw those films will watch it but like nobody's gonna fucking watch the Oscars who doesn't already want to watch the Oscars by nominating like Black Panther which I actually think was a good movie um and Green Book and, and Bohemian Rhapsody you're not gonna get fans of those movies to watch the Oscars just to see how they do it seems like wholly misguided and they left out a lot of decent to great films in favor of these like mediocre movies so you you're uh, putting forth kind of the theory that it was we have two acting nominations from can you ever forgive me melissa mccarthy's serious turn and i've not seen it so i shouldn't be talking shit but like god damn it i'm going to like what what are we doing here i don't know yeah richard e grant's nominated for that i haven't seen it either but he's a good he's a pretty good character actor i've noticed over the years so good for him yeah and uh this you know the supporting actor uh you know, just going on the, the, the people in the in the group alone, it, it's definitely stacked. Like we said, Mahershala absolutely killing it on True Detective. Adam Driver, I like. Was he is he good in Black Klansman? I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, Adam Driver's good in everything. Adam Driver's weakest role, maybe as Rilo Kiley, um, in new in the new Star Wars. But he's the most interesting part about the movie, anyway, to me. And I'm not a fan of that movie. Those movies really too much, but I thought his character is the most interesting. In those Star Wars. And Sam Rockwell is fine. Like, he doesn't deserve to win for this. But again, I liked his performance. It was funny. Yeah. And uh, Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. Which, again, I'm not going to watch probably. But God, I, I like Sam Elliott. He's a, he's a classic. There was a funny um, thing I saw on Twitter or whatever where... I guess they always do a thing where all the nominees like get in a room together and they like take a picture of them all, right? Yeah. The tweet was like, you're goddamn... It's like something about, you can be goddamn sure that Sam Elliott knows where the camera is. Everyone's just looking around, whatever. Elliott's right in the top middle, looking directly at the camera, smiling. Like It's pretty Perfect. funny. Anyway, that's the Oscars. I want to get to what's more interesting to me coming up this Sunday. True Detective, season three finale. And of course, it's an anthology show, so, you know the story would be will be wrapped up here hopefully since i think it really turned around here so i hope there is a season four and i think it didn't even occur to me how long it had been since season two but it had been four years apparently and what seemed to be the thing was that part of the reason why it was a pretty weak season was apart from things i think i mentioned a little bit last time like the settings not as good direction whatever but also the fact that hbo kind of forced the writer nick pizzolato to like pump a new season out quickly because that one was so popular season one was so popular right we see now that he had four years to work on this new one and i think it's basically returned to form in my opinion now we talked about it and uh listening to the podcast here if you're not into true detective you can i guess sign off now because we're gonna spoil it and everything like that um if we haven't watched it yet but when we had talked after episode four the other week or a couple weeks ago you were saying that the store, the mystery, or whatever, I guess, or like the case, wasn't as interesting to you this time, though, as season one, maybe. And I was saying that I agree, but I think it's a little more about the characters this season and figuring them out. How do you feel in that regard now, having there's only one episode left? Here's the thing: we didn't talk about, and I need to say this for the record, we did not talk about this beforehand. But that's all I want to talk about because I've done a complete 180. I am no longer interested in anything that any of these characters does or has to say. I just want to know about conspiracy at the heart of this abduction, right, which again, this perfect. case is not interesting at all. But I, I do want to know about the conspiracy and how it connects to the larger True Detective canon. Yeah, I have a theory on this, but before getting to that, I will say that like it is, I'm still interested in the characters, 
but I am feeling like leading up to this finale, like a little bit how I was feeling in season one, like the excitement level, piecing everything together, theories, all like that. I think it has gotten that magic back a little bit for me, for sure. Good. So I guess before getting into the theory specifically, we kind of know what essentially happened already, right? So in the first timeline, uh, 1980, the case gets shut down because they pinned it on the trash man or whatever his real name is. Woodard, I think. Right, and the evidence was planted. The evidence which yes. led them to that. Yes, which they didn't even really look into at the time. And 1990, then, hey, Mahershala Ali's character, Purple Hayes, realizes what was going on with the planted evidence. But then they're also, then this whole thing happens with Tom killing himself, quote-unquote, even it's clear that he was silenced, you know, he was murdered. They're shutting that down. And then we saw what happened in this most recent episode which also led to the falling out, seemingly, between the two partners. Hayes basically manipulates um, Brolin into doing the harsh interrogation of the Hoyts, which is the, the family here that's connected, obviously, with the Hoyts security guy. Goes badly, and they have to kill him, and then, obviously, Roland's mad about getting put in that position, and then it, they we don't know exactly what happens after that, but they don't speak for years but we do know that he, at the end of this episode, that he's about to, uh, Hayes is about to go speak to Hoyt directly. And we don't know what's going to happen. He obviously lives and everything, but it was still tense at the end of the episode, even knowing that he lives, obviously. I thought it was still pretty well done at the end of that, of the episode seven with him, like seeing the cars outside, looking through the window, like talking on the phone to him. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. Everything about this season has been competent, but it's like a B minus. I'm less, or I'm more and more interested in conspiracy but i was never like truly interested in the case i i'm less and less interested in the characters especially since i think they shot their wad a bit early on the characters having the old men get together in episode six it was episode five i believe because it was the one right after we had talked last and i loved that actually like that i thought that was one of my favorite scenes of the whole sh- season when they kind of get together at that yeah but it happened so early yeah but i mean you think it should have been i mean because they the old men are doing stuff now together so they have to have some time for that, right? Yeah, I mean, what are they going to do? They're like 65? Uh, I think even older, maybe, yeah. It's good to get resolution on that relationship. I just, like, it came a bit early, and it was the only thing that was interesting about this season to me, other than now I kind of want to know about the, like, wider conspiracy. Okay, but I mean, to wrap up the kind of recap, it's now, I just didn't get to the 2015. So in 2015, they are back together. Hayes, obviously, the whole time has been being interviewed by this reporter or whatever she is that his son is cheating on his wife with as well, which is not the most interesting subplot, but whatever. It's good that that's barely a thing. Yeah. And then we, we have the good reunions between Roland and Hayes. Roland forgives him, essentially, and but also feels bad for him, too, because he's losing his mind. Uh, we still don't know exactly how much he's playing at it and how much he really is, but it, it seems like clearly, at, at least, that he's... He definitely has real issues. Like, there's the, I like this whole scene in general from the most recent episode where they're interviewing the also old woman now who used to work for the Hoyts. She has a funny line about, like, how are you, why are you still police at your age? And then her daughter, whoever it is, comes over and, like, he suddenly gets lost mistaking it for his own daughter, right? So, like, clearly he is, like, really going through Alzheimer's or something like that, right? But, no, it's bad for him, yeah. Yeah, but it does seem like at some points, especially with the interviewer, like he's playing it off, pretending he forgot stuff when he definitely really remembers it, right? 
Yeah, and then there's that one seed I think scene I think um in episode six last week where like he was playing off like you said he was pretending to be less lucid than he is, and then he gets up and he's gone. He is actually out of the room. Yeah. And I think it was in this most recent episode seven, it was a really cool scene I thought where he like kind of well first they do so the also what's going on is there's I wanna maybe get some theories about who this car is that's like that's spying on Hayes in twenty fifteen. And at first it seemed like maybe, is it really there or not? But then Roland confirms it really is there. I heard on a different podcast, a theory that I now subscribe to, the first time when it's not there, he's actually, he knows, he believes it slash knows that it's there. He's actually testing yeah. West. This is like, are, are you going to keep it real with me? Like, I know this car's not there. Yeah. Cool. I, I heard that as well, but that's out the window now based on the recent episode because. Well, well now it is there, is, is their position, I think. But I think it's out the window because if he was testing him the first time, I think Roland looked and the car was actually gone. Or if it was there and he's saying it's not, then why did he help him in this newest episode go and get the license plate number and all that, you know? Like, I think... Right, right. I, I don't think... There's a lot of theories on there that Roland is, like, part of the conspiracy or anything like that. I, I, I just don't I, think that's the case. Think there's no way. Yeah, I don't either. It shows, like... Especially given the way that season one worked out, where like a lot of people I understand don't really buy the male camaraderie between Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, the Michael Jordan of being a son of a bitch. But like, that's kind of what the season was about in a small way. Like, they, he's not going to get away from that. But also in the in the season one, they didn't have as much camaraderie. Like, they were very at, at odds, you know. And I I kind of like how the, in this one they're more. I mean, the, Hayes and Roland are really at odds too, especially in the 1990 timeline because of whatever uh, events and, and their different personalities. But I, I like how Roland is like more, basically just seems like a good guy for the most part. He is like sympathetic, empathetic, whatever. Like he takes Tom's death to heart, like feels really bad about it. In the new, in the most recent timeline, he feels bad for Hayes, obviously, even though from what we've seen, there's no reason that he should necessarily care about him still. Like, he, I, I don't know, to me, it just seems like he's a He's mostly just a, a pretty good guy that's not really, like, any hidden, like, intent anywhere to, like, uh, cause conspiracy. Yeah, I, I yeah, don't know. That's all valid. I just mean, like, in the first season, those guys at the very end, after they go through uh, Kirkhope together in 2012, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, they are bonded in a way. That, like, yes, that's true. We are seeing, like, having gone through that together, they are bonded in a way that we're seeing, like, Hayes and Roland just, like, are, uh, which is nice. Yeah, I agree. And let's get into that, though, because that's where my kind of theory is here so in the episode with do you remember what the interviewer's name is basically God damn it, I don't. <laughs> doing a true uh, crime the podcast show does not care about its women so it makes sense that i would forget a woman's name <laughs> okay well i think you're projecting a little bit on that one but the interviewer eliza i think that's her name eliza does that sound yeah, right yeah that sounds right okay so eliza shows him Hayes a picture of a newspaper article with McConaughey and, you know, with Rust Cole and Woody Harrelson's name, who I forgot, on there. Marty, Rust and Marty. So it's conf- confirmation that this is the same world, right? Even though it's different. An anthology show with different stories, at least with season one and three are connected, taking place in the same universe. And then with how this case is turning out to be, a lot of people are saying, if not the Yellow King himself, whatever, like this whole um, pedophile ring and whatever is involved. And Eliza brings it up to him, like this happened here in New Orleans or, what you know, in Louisiana. There's a thing in Nebraska, which I think was a reference to something that was a real life kind of conspiracy. 
Yeah, yeah. And that one that one got wild, like reading about it. The Franklin County several or something? Of, several of the bushes were implicated. Like that seemed to be a real conspiracy. But but apparently from what I saw, it really was just mostly a conspiracy. Like it's all these politicians linked to it and stuff is not really confirmed in any way. Who knows? Got it, got it. But my theory is now that I think that this is a complete red herring by um, the show here, Pizzolatto and the show, because for a couple of reasons. So, or not, I mean, maybe not for a couple of reasons, but just, I just think that's how, why they're showing that. Like, I think they're setting us up to think that it is part of like some major conspiracy. And really it's not. My theory is that Hoyt, we learned a little bit, bit more about Hoyt's daughter this time, right? And she has the black guy with one eye that keeps coming up. That was apparently the guy we saw at that book reading in that one scene, right? Right, right. It seems like he was her handler, I don't know, butler, like whatever he's doing exactly. The old woman said that he was the only one allowed to go in her room or whatever, right? Well, and like, they, she called him, like she recognized him when they described him to her, and she called him Mr. June, and Mary calls herself Mary July. Exactly, or exactly. Julie calls herself Mary July. Yeah, so... All this to say, um, and also though they're probably the two ghosts that were, you know, at Halloween. It was probably Mr. July and the Hoyt's daughter, who's apparently is like mentally ill or something. Right. I'm thinking it's going to be something that like she just wanted, like the daughter was, uh, Julia was sold to them basically to Hoyt to like replace his granddaughter. And I think it's like, like not as a pedophile. Yeah, not as a pedophile thing at all. Just as like to have like a new daughter. Probably the cousin was involved in getting them directly connected. It really seems like the cousin and the mom were, were uh, extremely part of it. Um, and by the way, I liked his performance in the one. That that scene happened after we talked last time, right? Uh, yeah. In the diner. That was pretty funny. I liked that. He's like, sees them together. He's like, oh, right on. You guys still together. But anyway. I like the way he puts his cigarette out on his eggs and he's like, I'm out of here. Yeah, that was gross. But his cousin, uh, the, Julia's mom, whatever. Uh, which, by the way, that actress is Meryl Streep's daughter. If you didn't, know, if you didn't know that, somebody said that, but I completely forgot because I drink too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. She like already was involved with worked for the Hoyts and one at one point she already was somewhat involved. And then he, her cousin, probably got them. Who, who also it seems like her cousin's probably Julia's real father, based on things he said and what we know yeah. about. They shared a lot of milestones. Yeah, exactly. And we know that Tom was apparently gay, and they there's already rumors about him, them not being his... Right. You know, she sleeps around anyway, so it might be his daughter anyway. He, like, ramped things up for them to actually take her. We It's still a mystery at this point, then, how the brother died, but maybe it was just some complete kind of accident that got covered up by... It. Maybe he was trying to stop her from being taken, and... um the mentally ill daughter killed him or maybe it was an accident, you know, something like that. And then Hoyt's covering this all up. Basically all this to say, I'm thinking the yellow King stuff that showing the Marty and rust thing and all this is like a red herring. And it's really just a small isolated thing just with the Hoyt family, not part of a larger conspiracy. What do you think about that? Wow. Okay. I've not read that theory. I've not been really online about this so i'm dealing with that right now yeah I, and i also i basically i didn't like just read this theory like i did, i was thinking it myself already and then i started looking into it a little bit if other people thought that and i have this i found this today too which is interesting i think someone put a theory online or put a tweet i guess and nick pizzolato liked the comments i don't know what this is on twitter or whatever it was but nick pizzolato the writer liked this and it says the person said the interviewer is a stand-in, meaning Eliza, I guess, is a stand-in for a true detective fan base. Season three echoes season one, but it is not season one. 
Eliza sees these echoes and desperate for a sensation and for a repeat of the story she's seen before misinterprets the evidence. So that was the comment what I just read. And that oh, was liked by the writer. Like, the thing in Louisiana was literally a pedophile ring. It was, yeah, exactly. But this is like, so she's seeing that and then what this guy's saying is like the audience seeing that too. Oh, thinking it's like season one. So are you saying that Julie was kidnapped as a playmate for his daughter? Or Julie was kidnapped as like a replacement for his daughter. Well, a replacement for his a replacement for his daughter's daughter. So like technically a replacement for Hoyt's granddaughter, but his daughter was the one who who had a child and that died, right? Okay. She's already maybe this made her crazy a little bit, or maybe she already was crazy mentally or whatever. And now she wants like a new child, and so he like basically gets this for her. I guess it's possible that he. I mean, there might be, uh, there might be some other things I'm forgetting or not thinking of that point to that it could still be a larger conspiracy. But I don't know. I think this is interesting. I, I think this is what I'm gonna gamble on here that that's gonna be the case because it, why not? Why not just like I, I could see the Pizzolatto doing this like pulling the kind of a, a reverse in a way on season one. Why do that? Such a similar story. I guess you would do a similar one if you wanted to make this whole larger world about all these like connected pedophile rings or whatever. But I don't know. I think it's going to be not the case, but but we'll see. I mean... Right. So if the vision is seven seasons where, like, there's a ring of very powerful pedophiles and eventually one of the detectives that he's read, one of the very broken people that he's writing about brings them down, then they would not do that. But if the thing is to not connect these universes, per se, and, and tell discrete stories, like, maybe they would do that. My only qualm with your theory is that, like, that these are people who do not renegotiate line. Like, why the fuck would they? Why the fuck would they murder so many people to keep it a secret if all it was was I wanted a new granddaughter? That's a good point. I guess because well, it's still obviously illegal what they're doing. Maybe, maybe because it got so out of hand or whatever. Maybe it just keeps like snowballing essentially. And who who have they killed? They just killed the people that basically they killed the direct family members. Well, they killed the, the whole family. Yeah, the parents and the cousin, who's probably really the father, the real father. Do they kill anyone else besides that? I mean, basically, they're it, it's it makes sense in a way to me. Still, you want to take this child from a quote unquote real family or a real family really, and like make it part of your whole thing. And you so you at a certain point you're already not respecting or. You're not like valuing those people as part of society in a way like it, like I can just take from them, right? They're like trash people, which they kind of are, but regardless, you know, I can take from them and then I'll just knock them off eventually or if I have to, if they ask for too much money, try to make noise in the press, cops, anything like that, we'll just kill them. So because they haven't, has anyone shown up dead? A lot of people connected to the case are dead, but as anyone that would be considered important, really, you know, at least important to society, someone that would be missed, you know? Okay, because Scoop McNary and the mom are very important to the case. But no, nobody likes the society. It's a greater right. society is what I mean. And then there's the death of the security guy, which Eliza is like saying this is another dead person connected to the case. But obviously we know that the detectives killed him. So, And I was a little disappointed, I guess, that they... Because it was a really good end to episode six where Tom comes into the pink room and says like Julie looks at something. Yeah, that was the most electrifying moment of the entire season. Security guy comes up behind him, but then we didn't see uh, what he saw, which I guess I'm not too surprised, but I kind of wanted to see what he was looking at exactly. I hope we get some of that in the finale here. Yeah. But yeah, is anyone else dead other than the one that Hayes and 
basically Hayes what Hayes and Roland killed, and then these people, Julie's direct family members. Has anyone else shown up dead that, that come out yet? Not yet, but here's the thing. We might be headed for another vigilante kill by Hayes and uh, Wes. By the grumpy old men? Right, no, well, like, in the 1990 timeline or the 2005 timeline that was introduced last episode. Oh, that's true, yeah. Because a couple episodes back when they were talking, when he was, like, he was talking to old man West, trying to get him to, like, buy into the whole let's revisit our ghosts thing. At some point during that episode, he says the phrase, like, what happens if they drain another quarry, you find another body, which leads me to believe that they've done some more dirt in service of putting this case behind them. So is another body besides the security guy, uh, James, I think, Harris James? Right. I'm not necessarily expecting that, but I'm expecting it. Hmm. I don't remember. I kind of remember the scene you're talking, or the dialogue you're talking about, but I can't exactly remember if it was. There's no way that they were talking about the one we just saw in this last episode. No, Harris James was mentioned explicitly in that conversation, yeah. Hmm, I wonder who it could be. They don't kill, like, the uh, DA or whatever, maybe. I don't know, I don't know. Well, because it seems like the way things ended in that last episode with the partners, that that was enough to get them to be. What situation are they going to be in after that? It kind of seems like, and they're they're saying that, the DA guy's saying it's still going to, they're not overturning the initial conviction in absentia but tom killed himself so that's something whatever but what they're like closing the case again right so well they did overturn the conviction in absentia i thought he said they they're not doing it i think we disagree uh we'll have to go back and watch it and then text about it and not update the podcast but i think that they did say that they were overturning that conviction and pinning it on tom based on you might be right what what i thought it was was they're saying this looks uh, this looks pretty suspicious what happened here but we're not overturning it but either way they just keep pinning it on dead people so before we wrap up i'll go through a couple questions maybe of like still outstanding questions for the finale one other thing i think is a red herring is lucy that's the mom's name the street daughter her friend you know the uh the woman that's like always shown with her right yeah in in 1980 and then amelia goes to see her in this recent episode you know, and she gets that picture from Halloween or whatever. So, like, a lot of people's theories online uh, up to this were saying, like, this woman's always around. Like, she's got to be tied to it in some way. I feel like she's a complete red herring as well. That is the way that I feel as well. Especially the way she gave up that photo, like, as long as you'll come back. Like, somebody has to remember. Yeah, exactly. And she actually did get... When she actually did finally give up the photo, I was like, all right, she wouldn't have done that if she was too involved, probably. Maybe she knew about what, what Lucy did, but... She's hiding it out of shame, maybe, but not because she's involved. Yeah, if Lucy really did give, was active, which it seems like probably is the case, in giving her daughter or kids in general away. Um, So, like, the outstanding questions I have, then, are, what is the arrangement that Hoyt and Hayes are going to make right now? Because in in 2015, Roland apparently never knew that the two of them met up, so that would also stand a reason that Roland and Hoyt never met up back then, either. So... Hayes must be making some kind of arrangement here with him, saying, like, leave my family out of this, leave Roland out of this. What's he actually going to do? Uh, like, what's going to go down in the car or whatever? Right. Do you have any theories? I don't actually have any theories. I'm ready for a hard left turn, though. After our conversation, I'm n- anticipating none of the things that I, that have been, like, percolating, like, with me that, that I think might be the case being true and figuring out this whole other thing where, like, Hayes makes some kind of deal because turns out Hoyt's not the bad guy and he is convinced and whatever, whatever, whatever. I guess I'm prepared to see that now. I'm also kind of prepared for it to go the regular way where, like, 
it's just a confrontation between a good guy and a bad guy because it's a detective show and that ever thus, right? I kind of have an out there theory that I don't think this is necessarily, I, I want to predict this is def- this is going to be the case, but I think it would be interesting if it was. What if, because we know that Hayes quits the forest after this, right? In 1990, like after this case. Right. But we don't know what he goes to do after that, right? It's never been said that I that I recall. Right. What if White's like, you have to um, be my new like head of security like James was doing. You just take the, this job now, right? Oh my God. Uh, I didn't think about that. that. That would be wild. That's why I said it was a little bit of an out there theory, but I think that would be interesting. I think I'll be a little bit disappointed to kind of lasso this all together. I will be a little bit disappointed if this doesn't connect conspiratorially to the 2012 timeline from uh from season the, one. The, the season one timeline i i don't think it's going to i, I have been way. conditioned to expect that and i want it okay so another out- outstanding question what's up with the daughter there was a fourth timeline there we saw her go i guess presumably going getting dropped off at college right yeah that's the only time we've seen her as an adult or how old she was there 18 i guess it's not clear if she's alive even. The son said that she's in California or something, but it could be just lying to his dad, especially if he keeps forgetting over and over again. Also, we don't know what's what happened to Amelia, who uh, maybe strangely wasn't with them dropping off at college. Does that mean she's already dead by that point, which would have been, what, like 2005 or something, six? That's what people are saying. I don't. I haven't done the research myself. And it does Amelia, we've already seen, like, she's taken things a little far. There's the whole scene where she's, like, interviewing the guy at the bar and, like, freaks out thinking the kids are taken when they're just, she just can't see them. But she already put them in that somewhat dangerous position to go do that. Does she, like, overstep in some way here, especially knowing that Hoyt knows what's going on here? Does she, like, somehow go too far at some point and, like, get killed or something? I don't think that's necessarily the case, based on how things are in 2015, but maybe. The one theory that I've heard that made complete sense, that made so much sense that I stopped thinking about it, was that, like, some kind of accident happens and Becca dies, and it is the thing that begins or exacerbates Hayes's, you know, mental issues. Right. But it's it's strange, though, that we... Again, we it's an unreliable narrator in 2015 with Hayes, but it seems like he remembers his wife fondly and... He seems to claim that they had a good relationship, but everything we see in like 1990 is like the opposite of that, right? They seemingly have a very bad relationship, so. I don't know. There's that bit where it's like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna hit me? And he's like, no, I'm going to cry. Yeah, that was a good moment. They certainly fought a lot. I don't think that they had like a necessarily, I don't think that the show wants us to think that they had a terrible relationship. Oh, I mean, it just seems like every scene we see with them in that in that one time period is goes badly between the two of them. I mean, there's a whole awkward dinner scene with at Roland's yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And she, he doesn't like her writing the book or getting involved. And she did, at least claims to not like him going back at, to work and doing all this, like caring more about that. And we see that he does also like try to avoid going home too, right? A lot. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's why she has to take the kids to the diner because he does not come home. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Which she didn't have to take them. So she didn't have to do that. But, you know, it was a good scene. And that's that's a scene where we learned about that. The cousin, O'Brien, I think his name, was seen talking to that one-eyed man, right? So that's why it seems like he's maybe was the facilitator for that. And then the last question I've written down here is, did Purple Haze already solve this case years ago completely and just can't remember that he did? Oh, I thought about that like for three seconds earlier in this podcast and never once before. That would be crazy. That I think there's a decent chance of that. 
being the case. That might be the darkest, best ending to this. And then the question is, how do how does that get revealed right, to right. us, I guess? Oh, well, I guess I do have one more question. It could be tied into that. That's who is... I mentioned it briefly before, but who is... What's going on with this car that's tailing him or that's spying on him or sitting outside or his house? Or is there a car that's spying on him? Well, there, I, I'm saying there definitely is because Roland saw it too, so... Well, like, Roland went out there and did the, like, on your on your supposition that, like, maybe it was solved in 1990 and he's just forgotten and it needs to, like, get there again so he can let it go. Maybe Roland's just, like, helping him go through the motions. That's possible, but I'm I'm gonna say, I don't think that's the case, though, because I'm taking it as, basically, when Roland has, when he talks in 2015, or we've even seen a scene or two of him by himself without Hayes, like, talking to his dogs or whatever, I'm taking him as more of a reliable narrator and that, like, what he's... I'm taking his stuff kind of yeah, at face yeah. value. So I believe that he really hasn't seen Hayes in years and years. I think if Hayes did solve the case, he did it without Roland, especially because we don't know what's going on with him him and Hoyt's arrangement or, or conversation here. And Roland said he never talked to Hoyt, I believe, and he didn't know that Hayes did. So I kind of thought they had this falling out in 90. They don't speak it really again until now. And then Roland really doesn't know what's going on. It, it would make sense, too, if he's just helping him go through the motions because of that. But I don't think there's the evidence for that, necessarily. Or if that's the case, they, they haven't done enough right, to right. show us that. But in the car, who do you think's in the car? Um, fuck. What if it's his son? Just keeping up on him? But he doesn't... I mean, there's a couple... Th- I, I don't think it's his son because... There is a couple, when the son's talking to Roland too, like Roland's like, do you know what your dad's doing at night? He's like, I have a feeling, but. He needs some there with him watching him. And it maybe like the son had a half measure. Like, I don't think this is true. I'm just riffing. And maybe the son like had a half measure going already where it was like, well, I've got somebody watching him. Okay. But he didn't, wouldn't he have just told Roland that like, oh, I've got someone. I'm, he would just say like, I'm keeping up on him. He wouldn't maybe explain like, I've got this guy probably, watching him, but probably. like he would. Swinging him in. Yeah. And he, he didn't seem to know that his dad had a loaded gun on his desk and all that stuff. So I don't think it's his son. I heard someone else say, this wasn't my theory, but someone said, what if it's the daughter? Some, but why would she not? Why would she do that? I guess if they had some kind of, they had some kind of falling out and she doesn't want to see him, but she still wants to check up on him that doesn't really make too much sense i don't think but i think people just want to put the daughter in somewhere it could be the hoyt still maybe just because knowing that maybe they've kept track with him all these uh, I'm, I'm presuming that hoyt himself is dead at this point in 2015 but maybe the family whatever it is is still keeping track of him if it was more of a larger conspiracy which i said i don't think it is but if it was the case maybe that that would make sense especially that he's now apparently seeing talking to they could have found out that he's talking to this documentary team or whatever right yeah but then the other theory i had is what if it, it what if it is the documentary team themselves like what if it's eliza or whatever trying to because it seems like in a way that hayes took the decider to start taking this interview because he wanted to find out what she knew right what they knew right and then we see him kind of like end it in that episode finding out that she doesn't know really much more than he, that he didn't already know for the most part Ooh, go on so it seems from that respect, like he's trying to play her to get more information. But what if Eliza and the team know they get, they got to must must at least somewhat suspect that the death of James, the security guys, could have been by the police or whatever. 
what if that's like her theory and she's really trying to bait him into giving that up like has this whole interview with him to like get him talking about it or whatever or get him interested again and then see if he actually goes out and starts trying to solve the case again or lead him somewhere and maybe they're just gonna like follow him where he goes or whatever right or even like what if they can get a feeble old man to confess a la uh the jinx another hbo property yeah but what, i don't know what they would if they're gonna get him to confess like the the direct interview makes more sense than like having a car up is it like trying to scare him or something intimidate him maybe just watching him because they know like yeah. the other night he walked out to shoot lane yeah well they don't necessarily know that right they didn't say that they right 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 but but yeah if they're telling him they they would theoretically oh then maybe they do know that because the son knows it that he did and he's sleeping with the with her so he could have just revealed that right what his dad's up to so i think that would be interesting if it was them like trying to but that that's probably one of the more interesting things to me like who's who's in the car i hope it's satisfying and yeah i hope the finale is satisfying i'm obviously excited for it i know some people didn't like the season one finale i've heard some backlash on that one where they said the season was great overall but the final episode was a little bit of a letdown in some respects i kind of agree like at least who the final serial killer was was a little bit of a a little bit of a letdown, but I still liked it overall. I, I heard some people saying that they didn't like McConaughey's character kind of changes a little bit at the end, but I, I bought that at least, but I don't know. I don't know if we're in for from these specific characters, but yeah, hopefully they uh, don't leave us hanging on the answers here. That would be annoying. Yeah, I loved season one, and I hope that we get such a satisfying ending, like a, a reveal to the conspiracy, something useful for the characters involved you know, emotionally. I'm here for it. I just like, I don't know, all that shit that I said at the very beginning, I guess I am still very interested in this show because I just had like, what, 40 minutes of a conversation about it, so. I mean, that's why I like this type of show's gig is you can just like start grasping at these straws and things. It makes you more interested to like try to figure something out, a completely fictional thing, you know, but I, I like that about shows. And I might be to transition to our final little topic here. We'll wrap up soon, but um, if you want to talk about Russian Doll a little bit, I've only seen the first two episodes, but... It seems like a show where you might also be trying to figure out what's going on, right? Do I have that? I can't get any spoilers, really, because I'm going to probably continue to react to it. And when I do reactions to these shows, again, on YouTube, look it up. But I People don't like it, obviously. If you know anything going in, you have to be completely unspoiled to get your true reaction down. But the sense I'm getting is that it's obviously like a comedy, like dark comedy. I, I thought both first two episodes had a lot of like funny parts, dialogue, everything. But it does seem like it's going to be kind of a mystery, too, is that... Without giving anything away, I guess, can you tell me if I'm going down the right path there? So you will have a similar experience to True Detective where you you are, like, guessing along with the program and then you pause it between episodes and you think about, like, where you think it's going. That's all going to be true. It's a bit of a fool's errand. You, I will say, find out most of the things alongside the character. So Natasha Leone's character is going to find out all the things that you've been guessing about at about the same time that you know to guess them, just the way that, like, the pacing of the show is set up. Okay. The real the real meat of the show is in, like, the emotional wherefore. Okay. So, because, like, yeah, after the my um, first two reactions that I filmed, I was, like, kind of, like, piecing out little different things. Like, is this going to be important? Is this person important? Everything like that. Um, but you're saying I won't necessarily be able to find out what's going on independent of the character like figure out right things in advance right even okay. once she gets the whole she gets the process of live die repeat downing uh, and like understands what's happening to her and tries to like even she tries to like scientifically go through it where like 
I cannot take the stairs because every time I take the stairs, I die. You've seen that in, in episode two, right? Well, in episode two, she goes out. The, she finally goes out the, the uh, fire, fire escape. escape. Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, cool. No spoilers. With her one friend uh, who is... Uh, I, her two friends they've set up so far are two main friends. I, I think are both very funny performances so far. I'm liking both of them. Yeah, so... 100% of the time on everyone's birthday from now on, I will just address them as sweet birthday, baby. Yeah. And then you, you got to get a woo banger too, or a, uh, what do they call it? A, an Israeli giant too. Right. Friend better pass you one of those. Listen, listen, I'm not above Coke. You said you're not above it or not about it. Not above it. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't really work. Like, I mean, I have a, some experience in this. Like it doesn't, if you just sprinkle the Coke itself, like on weed or whatever, it doesn't really do much. I don't think like you need to actually, if you want to like freebase, I guess, which I haven't done, but you have to like cook it up a different way. I'm pretty sure to get like to actually effect. Got it. Got it. But then we found out in that episode that it wasn't even Coke. It was, um, ketamine, I believe special K. Right. Right. So I, I have no idea about know. that. No, me either. But she was, so in that episode too, she's like trying to, she, she's first going down the theory that it's the drugs doing that to her, which obviously it's not the case. I mean, I guess it still could be, but it seems like it's not. And it doesn't, that wouldn't really make sense anyways, if other people are doing them too and not experiencing this as well, right? Like her friend and everything. So. Right, right. Is it going to, I'm wondering if it's going to be like each episode is like a new theory for her to try to figure it out kind of thing. Not exactly. Not exactly, but she will continue to have theories about her situation that will be incorrect slightly. She and you, for having had the wrong theory, will infuriatingly be no closer to the real reveal. The show really does like do it to you on its own timeline, which I respect. Okay. And, um,. You think it's a, a type of show that would be good to react to? Like, I should continue the whole season. Like, there's going to be things that are, like, good reaction moments, I guess, or, like, things to dig in on in a recap, at least. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, I think I'll continue. We'll see. I just put the first one up just basically right before this recording, so we'll see if it gets what feedback it gets. But uh, You were deaths going forward, but the deaths are something to react to, for sure. Yeah, there. I left very hard, especially the second time that she fell through the... Um, when I wasn't expecting it, when she fell through the uh, the opening in the ground, the like, second time specifically, I was really laughing hard at that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's it's funny so far. I feel like is Natasha Leon's like writing the show also. Like it uh, seems like kind of her. partner there. Uh, the showrunner is someone else whose name I've forgotten pathetically. It does seem like it's kind of her voice a little bit from what what limited things I know about her or whatever. Yeah, so she's the creator, but there's like a writer, there's a like head writer in a writer's room, and she has one of those New York accent. Uh, accents where it's like borderline a speech impediment i would say yeah. it's so thick i just think like cockroach and like uh there was one other word i was really keying in on um that she said gone like g-o-n-e like gone gone yeah but it's it's funny and it was making me miss new york a little bit i've been gone for about i guess what like six months now almost yeah yeah they're about it's making me a little bit like yeah. but i do think it's a little heightened version of new york like the crazy party and all this like her job too that she went to in the second one how she's acting there and everything is it's a little not cartoonish maybe but it's a little heightened certainly of like what what happens in real life but again obviously it's a fantasy world anyway with what's going on this is something that other people have said and not something that i this is not a theory or feeling that i've originated but it does do a really good job of uh, collecting or showing New York as a set of five to ten spaces where you go because you feel safe there. That's your circuit. That's your New York. 
Which is like a really gratifying thing because I've lived here for like five years and that's happened to me everywhere I've moved, so. Yeah, but they better show how her friend is uh, independently wealthy or has a lot of money for some reason to like have that crazy loft apartment, which I think is on the... I promise you they never do. East Village or whatever it seems to be, yeah. That's like a typical Hollywood thing of uh, always having crazy apartments in New York or wherever that's... Well, and it, it extremely also feels like they're transplanting Natasha Leon, the person's 2002 Lower East Side, yeah. onto the 2019 Lower East Side that is all, like, commercial and, like, real estate-ish. Yeah, to be fair, there's still, like... A small portion of that of the um not the lower side but the east village it's still pretty grimy over there but yeah it's it's few and far between at this point yeah i mean parts of alphabet city still look like that that's what i'm talking about yeah also shout out to it was formerly called horseshoe bar where they every bar scene in that show is set in horseshoe bar which is a place where notably my younger brother, the first time that he visited me in New York, and I nearly got into a fight with a bunch of strangers because he wouldn't stop talking shit because he got so drunk. <laughs> so, uh, really, really important moment for me, recognizing that fucking bar. Where, where is that bar specifically? It's on, I think, A, right across from my favorite bar, Manitoba's. It's at the southeast corner of Tom. Gotcha. Yeah, so your brother is like the guy, the guys in the bodega there, like, getting into it in the first episode. Pretty much, pretty much, like, he would not shut up. Oh, boy. Well, and he's a Chicago man now, right? You only have one brother. Right, yeah. right. Mixing yeah, it up sure. over there and, and the shy. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to Did you binge the whole thing, by the way, basically? Yeah, my girlfriend and I watched it literally in two hours, two and a half. Definitely seems like a binge-esque show, but now that I've designated myself to react to it, that won't be the case for me. I mean, I could bank them up, I guess, but... It doesn't doesn't work as well that way. Is there? Uh, we we've been going on pretty long here. There's a lot of interesting uh, pop culture stuff to talk about. Is there anything else you want to uh, get in here? Not really. I would say let's keep an eye on Thrones as Thrones news and Thrones start to happen because I'm very interested in that. Also, Enam told me that he wants to get in on that as well. Let's do it with the small council. So we might have to, and who else? Who knows who else we can bring in? But uh, we'll have to get get a larger group to talk the throne. Certainly, that will be all over the damn zeitgeist. I'm sure. Oh yeah, there's one uh, one other show I recommend uh, at the end here though that I just started watching this week that I'm really liking right now. Have you heard of the show called Pen Fifteen? I have. I just finished it. Also with my girlfriend. It's like really good. I didn't expect it. I don't like things about horny like teens or preteens. I don't like things that make me feel uncomfortable, but it is also just like really sweet. The friendship is obviously the major thing in the in the show. I really liked it. Yeah. I'm like um I think I have three episodes left to watch, but yeah, I'm I'm liking it a lot so far. Yeah, for people who don't know, it's like it takes place in two thousand and seventh grade, but the two main characters are played by their present day selves just in completely dropped into like the classroom and the surroundings with actors that are the real age so. everyone else is 12 they're 31 yeah it's really funny and it's especially like funny to me or like i think hang to me because it's literally the exact age that i am so yeah yeah i just turned 31 i was i'm the same age as those actors actresses like i in 2000 i was in the same grade there on the show so uh it's pretty funny but yeah, that's a that's a high recommend. It's a, it sounds like you're obviously all over that one too. So yeah. no, it is a uh, it is extremely funny and tender. It is not as cringy as like what's cringy Silicon Valley. Yeah, 
there's some cringy stuff, but like when a character is doomed to like have a cringe moment, like you know it, but it's never like so cringy that you feel terrible. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny how like even well you've already seen it all the way through, but like I I've watched most of it. Like I really am like seeing them as like yeah. I mean you could still obviously tell they're adults, but like you like really do start to see them as like actual thirteen year olds. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But yeah, all right. So that's TV slash movies are relevant for this time we'll have to get back together i mean we'll have to basically recap the things we just talked about for the most part uh maybe next week or or soon uh see what happened with the oscars who wins uh what dumb stuff happens what we're annoyed about that happens and uh, of course see if uh true d season three stuck the landing for us how our theories shape out and everything like that so do join us back next time for that. Brooklyn Rebound Network here. By the way, on Stitcher now, if you're a Stitcher fan, I've gotten the show up on that platform. So more ways than ever to listen to the show here. Look at you. But until next time, again, avoid those stairs. Take the fire escape. Uh, watch out on the sidewalk. And uh, yeah, we're out of here. Peace. Productions.